I'm going to ask you to turn, please, in a copy of the Scriptures to the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm number 8. And then if you'll turn also to a question that's found in James 4. Psalm number 8. James chapter 4. And then I'll call our attention to some Scripture found in Luke chapter 12. I don't have three sermons. I just want to ask you to turn to these three places with me, and I trust the Lord will tie this together. My joy to open God's Word with you and to stand here again before you. I've been a pastor in my ministry. I've been in the ministry now a little over 32 years, and 20 of those was in the pastorate. And I am aware that we have a schedule on Sunday morning. I've pastored two Baptist churches, so... I'm mindful of that, and so I'll keep, uh, well, I started to say my long sermons, but I better not tell you that. You might not want to come back in the evening, but I will keep the revival-type messages. I won't uh, deal with that theme this morning. We'll start that tonight, and so this uh, morning I'll get right to the text and won't keep you here too long. The preacher has already indicated that I'm not, not a long-winded preacher. I think I heard someone over there near me said he hadn't heard me very often if he didn't think that. But uh, I'll try to finish in a hurry this morning. I'm thinking as one of my granddaughters did a while back, I was in a meeting in their church and she refers to her other papaw as being a preacher also. And I was seated there on the front uh, while the music was going and she was there with me. And then when her other papaw was seated over here, she would get over there with him. She's about six years old at this time. And this is the last night of the meeting. I've been there uh, four nights. And just before I got up, she said, Papa, could I, uh, could I say something to you? And I said, yeah. She said, I want to say it in your ear. She pointed my ear. and I got over where she could whisper to me. And she said, I don't think it's going to take you a long time tonight. <laughs> That was her way of saying those other nights just took too long. So, And uh, my wife was not there that evening, and I told her about it. And she said, there's a verse that says, out of the mouth of babes, God will speak to you. So he's trying to get to your long sermon. There's a question this morning that's found in James 4. And it just simply says, what is your life? Now that came out of a response of a man that was making some plans, leaving God completely out. Making some, well, he'd planned on going to a particular city and staying there a certain period of time. And he's going to make a profit while he's there. He says that he'll go to such a city, that's verse 13, he'll continue there a year. You buy and sell and get gain. Now, the text is not uh, speaking against him buying and selling and getting gain. What the man is, where he is making his mistake, he's saying that I'm going to spend an entire year there. And James says, Where, uh, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. I've underscored that. And then vanisheth away. 
but that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, do this or that. Our Lord is speaking in Luke chapter 12, and the text tells us that there was a large crowd of people. The first verse of the chapter says that there was gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. And if you'd study the entire context, he's talking to them about such weighty matters. He talks about heaven. He talks about hell. He talks about the providence of God. He talks about the goodness of God. But right in the midst of this weighty message, a man rather rudely interrupts the Lord. He stands up and he speaks up. Look at verse 13. One of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He said to him, Man, notice how direct our Lord is back to this fellow. Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Now, oftentimes the rabbis of that day would act as an arbitrator, referee. They'd settle dispute and this man senses the authority our Lord is speaking with, and so he's asking him to act in that capacity and says, my brother is beating me out of inheritance. So the Lord just responds directly back and says, who has made me a judge or divider of you? Having spoken to him, notice now that he returns to them. He doesn't let this interruption cause him to lose his audience. So he picks up on that subject. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not. Now keep our question in mind, what is your life? Our Lord is telling us what it is not here. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He spake a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Note the contrast. Here's a man that's planning on living many years. I don't know how many, more than two or three he has in mind. Many years. He doesn't have one day. Keep our question in mind, what is your life? Like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. God said to a man who's leaving God completely out, He said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's a question also in the book of Psalms, and that's Psalm number 8, and verse number 4. David is the author. It's a night scene. And David looks into the heavens. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And he's talking to God. He says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. I call our attention to the first three words of verse 4. What is man? And then the psalmist says to God that thou art mindful of him. Or the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. I have a text before me, I was thinking about it this morning, the first time that I ever 
I came to the text as I'm attempting to this morning was 30 years ago. I was a pastor in the inner city part of Indianapolis in my early ministry. And I brought a series of messages that I entitled Great Questions from the Bible. I think I noticed on the tape catalog, they retitled it. They've called the series, That's a Good Question. But out of those messages, per perhaps a dozen of them, one Sunday morning we came to Psalm number 8 and verse number 4. And we just simply ask our people to think with us, as I'm going to ask you for a little while this morning, on the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I found the question was asked five times in God's Word by three different writers. Job asked it twice. David asked it twice. And then a thousand years after David asked the question, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he picks up his pen and he brings this question into focus. And he too asks us to think about the question, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. Why did Job ask the question when and where he did? What's David had in mind? Why 1,000 years after David looks into the heavens and sees the stars and beholds the moon and brings the question for our consideration, why would God have the writer of the book of Hebrews, I repeat, a 1,000 years later to bring it into his text and ask us to consider the question, what is man? I want you to think with me this morning basically about three words and you'll have this simple message. First of all, think with me about the word life. And then second, there's the word Lord. And third, there's the word love. Now we can leave remembering easily those three words, I think, that'll relate to this question as we look at it. Job wants us to think about life. David wants us to think about the Lord. And then when you study the context of Hebrews chapter 2, you'll see that he's talking about the love of God when he asks the question, what is man, that God is mindful of him and cares so much for him that he pays him a visit. The brevity of life, Job's talking about. The majesty of the Lord, the psalmist is talking about. And the reality of love is found in that text in the Hebrew letter this morning. Job, he's been to the cemetery and he's buried ten children. I couldn't relate to that. I've not had to go and bury one, but some in this room, you can relate to that. Perhaps not buried ten, but Job's buried ten children and Job is the wealthiest man of his day and he's lost his wealth and now losing his health and the loyalty of his companion and Job is there where they put the warm ashes and he's got a piece of broken pottery and he's trying to find a little relief from the misery and the pain of his affliction. And he looks up into the heavens and he asks the question out of that situation. He said, what is man? Would you let me paraphrase that and I'll not injure the text, the truth of it. He in essence said, what's it all about? It is Job who has said, man that's born a woman is few days. He's not here long. It's few days, and then he, those days are full of trouble. In the immediate context of the text, Job said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. If 
fastest thing that Job knew on earth in those days. He's called a post, a runner, a messenger, and he looked out and saw him going past his place with a message. And Job said, my days is swifter than that runner going there. The fastest thing that Job knew in the air was the eagle. He looked up and saw the eagle and said, my days is past and faster than that. Like a tale that's told, it's like a cloud in the sky. It appears and then it vanishes away. Like a flower of the field, it's here and then gone. What is your life? Like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I visited with my mother just a little while back and it was the anniversary of the home going of one of my sisters. I can hardly believe she's gone. She left us, in fact, two of them within four months and one of them was 51, the other was 53. And uh, mom's got the picture. I'm from a large family. Mom has our pictures there together. And I repeat, is the home going of one of my sisters. And mom had pulled the pictures of those two girls out from the rest of them. I have the type of mother that she doesn't like for us to see when she's burdened or pained. And, and she tried to uh, cover it. And I noticed those pictures was pulled out. And and I'd visit with her, it was late in the evening, really way up late in the evening, and I got the kind of mother that make a difference what time you visit her place, she knows you came by to eat, so she's getting all the food, you know, and wishing she had more, and she's got a table full. And then I observed there, the other room, those pictures, and I said to her, it's been rough, isn't it? My sweet mother, God bless her this morning, mom's not well. She said it really has. She said, Wilbur, I was just thinking. She said, it seemed like a few days ago I used to look out and see you and your sisters get off of the school bus and walk from the highway back up and said, I'd watch you go out there in the morning. And I'd watch you as you got off and you came back. She said, that's just, well, that's just a few days ago. Now they're gone. They're in heaven. It's over for them. Well, my text, at least in part this morning, oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. And Job, when he brings this rather pertinent question to us, Job says, I want you to think of this question in relation to life, the brevity of it. It's so brief. You're here. You're, we're just here a very short while and then we, we're gone. It's like the vapor. If you saw it from the tea kettle this morning, it appeared and then it vanished away. I came in from a meeting from the St. Louis area, and I was there two weeks ago, but this goes back a while, and same area, and it takes me about five hours, so I normally drive home in the last night of the meeting, and so when I got in, my wife said, here's some messages that's come in. There's one there I've placed purposely on top, and you probably want to give some attention to that, and she'd uh, written a note, and, and uh, I could hardly believe it. She said... Uh, the note said, unless God intervenes with an absolute miracle, he has only days to live. Athletic kind of a fellow, picture of hell, robust, strong. I think I'm saying same on the strongest physical strength of any man I've ever met. Uh, looked up by his, his colleagues, his peers in his areas of businessman. And God has so blessed his business. I was his preacher at one time. And more than just, uh, you know, in that relationship, they have become friends of ours. He lives three states from us now. His wife had called earlier that evening and said uh, he wanted to speak with me. And she told my wife, unless God works a miracle, I repeat, he's 40 years old. Unless God works a miracle, he'll never get out of the hospital. I called the next day and she said, Brother Hurt, he's asking if it wouldn't be asking too much of you if you could come and see him. 
We know you're not our preacher, but we still think of you at times as our preacher. And he just feels like that God has laid on his heart to ask you to come see him. I, I checked my schedule and I said, I'll close next Friday night and told him I can drive to Atlanta, Georgia area. And I said, I'll leave early enough Saturday morning and can get to your place by noon on Saturday. And the week from the day I was talking to her, I was in the hospital room with him. He asked his wife and his four children to leave the room. And uh, I'll never forget what he said to me. He was kind to me. And he said, Brother Hurt, in those years we were uh, under your ministry and you was our preacher. Said, and he was kind. Those were good years. He said Sunday night was our favorite service. You used to talk to us on Sunday night as a pastor to his people, as a father to his family, and said, uh, those were my favorite service was Sunday night. Those principles as you would try to expound the word. He said, I'd take your principles. And said, I, I took many of them. And he had a group of people work for it. He said, I would use your principles in devotion. And, and said, I would talk to my men about it. And uh, he said, you used to say, plan your work, work your plan. You used to say you won't do much by accident. You, you only do that really what you plan on doing. And he said, I'm a planner, Brother Hurt. He said, I, I'm really a long-range planner. He said, if you could see my calendar, I've got some long-range plans. And then his voice took on some emotion. And I repeat, I'll never forget it. He said, but Brother Hurt, it never occurred to me to put on that planning sheet. You'll meet God at 41 years old. I can convey to you the sense of the seriousness and the urgency that I sensed in that room. He, he said, Brother Hurt, if, if the doctors are right, it appears they are. I won't get out of this room. I only have a few days left at the most. Inoperable liver cancer and taking its toll so swiftly on him. And he began to open his heart. To be honest with you, it rather startled me, the uh, first few things he said. I didn't know hardly how to take it. He said, I'm going to face God. And to be honest, he said, uh, it strikes some, some terror in my heart. I called him a name and I said, uh, am I to understand that you, you don't have your assurance that you know him in salvation? That's almost an affront to him and an offense to him. Oh, he said, Brother Hurt, I, I know I'm saved. I've been saved since I was a, just a boy. No question about that. That's not my concern. He said, Brother Hurt, I've been, I was planning in the future. I, you don't retire at 40. I could have, he said, but I was going to retire at about 50 and turn this work to someone else. And then I was going to mean business for God. He said, you see, I'm saved, but my life hadn't counted for him. He quoted that judgment seat of Christ scripture. I, I pondered that. I outlined a sermon from it last night. Oh, he said, Paul brings into focus with that reality, knowing that that's a reality. We persuade me. He said, Brother Hurt, I'm going before him with a saved soul, but a life that's been wasted. Oh, people have thought I've been dedicated, but in me, there's been no real consecration and dedication. And now I'm going to meet God. And here's what he said to me, Brother Hurt, I don't know how much longer. But he said, if God would permit you and your schedule to permit it, would you have my memorial service at least in part? I got some loved ones. I'm longing to see them get saved my last few days on earth. I'm going to do my best. Would you try to win them to God? He told me what to preach. Three weeks from that day, I drove back to that community and stood at one of the largest gatherings that I ever officiated a funeral service. 
Had to fill up about three, four chapels. Three filled and, and a fourth area they opened up had some folks in it. And I said, I want to share with you what he asked me three weeks ago to share with this audience. I don't know how many God took a hold of. We had people saved that day. We had folks recommitted to God that day. After the service, I said his, his concern was, he said his life hadn't really counted as it should have counted. And now he's concerned that maybe in the closing days, not trying to bargain with God, he knows better than that. He's a Bible student. But just out of an awareness that God has saved his soul and his life hadn't really counted. And God had blessed his business like you couldn't believe. But he said, I haven't really counted in eternal things. Nothing's going to be laid up there that's going to last. I told some things he asked me to say and a lady sought me out after the service. She said, I don't know you preacher. I didn't really know him. I'm one of his nurses. She said, I came on at the midnight shift. I've never in the years I've been a nurse, I've never, I've never encountered the word she used. I've never encountered a person quite like him. Said even when he's so weak, he could hardly talk. He'd still want to talk to me about Jesus and said he could, he could talk to him in such a way and the tears flowing and the reality coming from him. She said, I've been saved for years, but I've been a backslider. And she said, two or three days before he left, early one morning, I knelt beside of his bed. And she said, I've got right with God. Members of my family has gotten right with God. And I just want you to know as his friend and preacher, his life has counted in these last days. Well, we may have some long-range plans, and I, I'm for planning. Uh, my wife told me about three different calls had come in after I got the room last night. I sent some dates back to her and booked three meetings way out in the future, two of them. And I said to her to say to each of them, I said, if just say to them, I look forward, the Lord willing, being there. The Lord says what we ought to say, if the Lord wills we do this or that, for what is your life? Well, you couldn't live if He doesn't will it. If we're not careful, we make our plans and somehow independently of God. My question is about life, the brevity of life. And then David, my hero of the Old Testament. I love King David, man after God's own heart. I'm trying to do an in-depth study of the Psalms, trying to spend this entire year. I try to read the Psalms through on a regular basis, monthly, but... The Lord uh, burdened me the first of the year just to study this book for my own benefit this year. Try to spend a year in studying it. And I, I came through this passage a few days ago again. One of the outstanding psalms of the Scripture. It's enclosed with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Verse 1 and verse 9. And then David, having looked up into the heavens and he saw the stars and the moon and he says, you, you ordain those. Then comes the question, what is man? You're mindful of him, the son of man. We talked about the brevity of life. We think now for a moment about the majesty of the Lord, the greatness. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Literally, I'm told it's how majestic how marvelous, how wonderful. David then looks into those heavens and he would write elsewhere and say they declare his glory. But David seems to be overwhelmed and even overcome with the, the reality of the greatness of God and yet God is so mindful 
of this little creature man. You'd be correct if you would understand that, that God knows we exist. He knows all about us. Even in minute detail, the very hairs of her head. But this truth, this text is more than that. When he says you're mindful of him elsewhere, he'll talk about if you would try to reckon, that is, count the thoughts of God toward us. They're innumerable. God's thoughts. God's thinking of you. This God who puts the stars up there, puts the moon up there, and David being the poet he was, he speaks poetically. Well, he said, it's the work of your fingers, no effort really, but we know it didn't even take the work of his fingers. He spoke it into existence. And then David would say, this little creature man on this little planet earth, and a God that says, majestic as thou art, and you're thinking of man, you're mindful of him. I was preaching like this some time back, and uh, in particular, I took the text to her Egyptian handmaid, uh, Sarah and Abraham. She was too overcome that God knew her, and she called that well, the well of the living one who sees me. And God called her by name. She's a handmaid. She's a slave. She's an Egyptian. She's not in the covenant of God in those days. And yet here's this mighty God. He sees her. He knows her. And he knew her circumstances. And he was looking after her. And they named that well, the well of the living one who sees me. And I brought this text into focus. God's mindful. He sees you. And there was a great big crowd of people. And I said, there may be someone here and you may feel that no one ever thinks of you. You may feel that no one's mindful of you. You're never in anyone's thoughts in a, in a positive way. And after the service, that, uh, that evening service, uh, there was a man who came out of the service and out of the back of the building like that. And he started down toward that, uh, toward the front, that long aisle. And if I can say this without putting the man down, I don't mean to demean him, but uh, I believe he's one of the most pitiful looking people I've ever looked at. I mean, it just drew pity from you toward him. I couldn't describe him in, in his appearance. Uh, he's filthy in his, his clothing. Uh, his hair is just matted, has an unkept beard. He has a big old long boot on one foot and a big open military-type shoe on the other. Uh, boot, uh, and, and, and he timidly, cowardly, slowly comes down the aisle. The good preacher goes back and meets him, and they're down here, and a deacon prays with him. They go to a, a room over at the side. They have a place to go to counsel those that come forward. Uh, and the preacher told me after the service, he said, Brother Hurt, you, you noticed the fellow bit? And I said, yeah. He said, there's a story behind him. He's a, he's a homeless person. And uh, he said uh, the deacon that went back there with him discovered him over here. And he pointed uh, down the way. There's a there's a junkyard type of a thing over there, and said uh, he he has his breakfast there beside of the place. And he pulled it out of the out of the fast food place to go to an automobile plant where he works. He could see between an opening and those boards. He saw this fellow. and he's in an old abandoned car. And he could see that the cardboard he had up to keep the elements off it. They lived that time. And the next morning he pulled out of there and it's about daylight and he pulls out. And again, he saw this fellow and he said, you know, he was there before he could see him. And he said about the third morning he's having his breakfast and the Lord impressed him to get that fellow breakfast. And the deacon told me about it later. He said, I, I was convinced God was speaking to me. And he said, I got him a breakfast sandwich. I got him some coffee and a juice. And I got out there and got his attention and he's sort of a recluse kind of fellow. He just motioned to go on. And he said, I said, no strings attached. I'm a Christian. I'm a deacon over here at the church. And he said, I, I, the Lord just impressed me to get you a breakfast. Please take it. And the man reluctantly, but he took it. And uh, he did it again. 
I don't know how many times he did it, but he said, the Lord impressed me. Do it again. And he said he opened up and he talked to him. And I learned a little bit about the fellow. The fellow told him, he said, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm ashamed of the condition I'm in. I didn't plan this and I won't give you any excuses. He said, I'm not a total ingrate. I appreciate your kindness to me. He said, I told you up front, no strings attached. And I meant it. But he said, we're having a revival next week. And I, oh, I'd be delighted for you to go. He said, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me to go to church. Look at me. I'm filthy. It's all the clothes I have. I wouldn't be welcome. I'd embarrass myself and you. He said, no, you won't embarrass me and you will be welcome. And there it was. And I'm up there preaching that night. There's a God who knows you. He sees you. He cares about you. You know what he told that preacher when he came down here? He said, I know that man didn't know me. And he said, I don't think he knew I was back there. Because <laughs> I already told him, I'm going to take my glasses off. I'm blind. I can't see the distance. And he said, it seemed like he was just talking to me. And he said, I thought, now, if there's a God that great, and I think there is, and he knows me and cares about me, I'd be a fool if I didn't come down here and let him do something. And the next night, God hears this. They're waiting for me out there in the foyer. I stay in the prayer room until church time, so I show up right at preaching time. And, and uh, the deacon has a fellow, and I didn't recognize him. He looks so timid and down that, that evening, and there he is the next evening, and he's got on a clean change of clothing. His hair has been cut and it's combed and he's got it, uh, he's groomed well, his beard has been trimmed and kept and uh, he's got a smile on his face and he puts his hand out and he calls me preacher. He said, preacher, thank you for telling me somebody knew me and cared for me. I said, God bless you, my brother. Well, that's not the end of the story. That preacher got in touch with me and he said, brother Hurt, in his word, he's become one of the most productive members of our church. He said, he's got him a good job. Oh, he's here for everything. I had some back problems, as some of you know, in this good church. I sent a love offering at that time, and I, I deeply appreciate that. Churches that knew me heard about that. Our livelihoods through the ministry. Fourteen weeks, I was at a hospital every day with a back problem trying to get some help to keep stay out of surgery. And fourteen weeks, I didn't preach. And that church heard about it, and they took up a love offering. They put in a check, eighty-some dollars, and then they put a note and had a hundred-dollar bill in it. And the preacher said, we didn't want to put this in the check. This came and he identified him. He said, Brother Hurt, our people love and appreciate you, but there is one member of our church. You have a special place in his heart. And said, when he heard you having trouble and you weren't able to preach, he said, see that Brother Hurt gets this hundred dollars. It was from that family. I read that and brought tears to my eyes. I said to my wife, this is too precious to take and spend. I told her about what I told you. That's not the end of the story either. I was preaching some time ago in, in, in that general area. And he was there. And after the service, he had a friend with him, a lady friend, attractive lady friend. He introduced her to me. And he said, Brother Hurt, he said, uh, well, he said to her, said, show Brother Hurt what you have on your finger. They're engaged. And he said, Brother Hurt, you were right. He's looking after me. <laughs> well, he does that too. David says, what is man? You're mindful of him, the son of man, that you visit him. And the idea, pay him a visit, you care for him. God is concerned for us, and he cares for us. I close without even going into detail. If you'd study the other one out, what is man? Job says, think of the brevity of life. David says, think of the majesty of the Lord. Hebrews text says, think of the reality of love. 
And right in that context, he talks about so great salvation and tells us that salvation was purchased, says by the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for every man. And I refer to it as love. The love of God caused Jesus' Son to go to Calvary. And that's the grace of God in action at Calvary. Oh, I tell you this morning, if you're in this room and you do not know Him, this God who is so majestic, creator of this massive universe, ordained it and put it there and controls it, He's thinking of you this morning. Individually, He's thinking of you and you're important to Him. He's mindful of you, that burden you've got, that need that you have, that thing that brings a little dread and brings a little anxiety to you. Cast all your care on Him. He cares for you. Oh, the love of God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and God's people. Moment of quietness and just a moment of prayer. God wanted me to just basically talk about the brevity of life and the majesty of the Lord. All over this room this morning. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, hearts in attitude of prayer. Boast not of tomorrow. We know not what a day brings forth. My good friend, that's with the Lord now. He said, Brother Hurd, I was planning on making my life count. But it's over now and it probably hasn't counted much at all. I wonder if some of us is planning on sometime in the future being committed, being sold out. Is there somebody in your family you'd like to see brought to Christ? Are you a channel? Could God speak to them through you? Are you on praying ground? Is your life really committed? See, we plan sometime out in the future, meaning business. But somehow we're occupied at the present. I don't believe we have much longer, really, to be honest with you. I'm longing for a, a real awakening this week of God's presence, of revival. It could start this morning. Some of us as His people being aware that we need a fresh and a new commitment. You're here unsaved. Don't leave that way. You're here away from the Lord. Come home. I'm going to ask the pastor if he'd be kind. Brother Ken, would you just slip up here and close the services? God leads you to do it in a word of invitation or however. All over this room, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for praying for me. God's in this room talking to our hearts. What a wonderful God he is. How marvelous a God that's creator God and he cares about us. Brother Ken has a word for us with our heads bowed. Let's stand to our feet, please, with our heads bowed, our eyes are closed.